In the summer of 2012, I lived and studied in Jerusalem, working at deciphering biblical Hebrew at Hebrew University. They said it was a beginner's course, that no previous experience was required. What they neglected to tell me was that most people had taken Hebrew or another ancient Semitic language before, and that this course was designed for linguists. It was really ridiculously hard, and I was not good at it. But in some ways, learning biblical Hebrew was easier than being in Jerusalem during Ramadan. It wasn't just that it was scorchingly hot, although it was. The city felt like a tinderbox. So some of my classmates and I devised a plan to get out of the city and see the countryside, see the Galilee. We were a very odd assortment, a Muslim Ivy League linguist, an evangelical from the backwoods of North Carolina, an atheist writing her doctoral dissertation on Ugaritic, an extremely conservative Catholic from Colorado, and Becky, the Episcopal priest in training, who was in charge of renting the economy car and driving. We left on Friday morning, making the two-hour drive to Nazareth and the surrounding countryside, before staying in a hostel in Tiberias for the night. Saturday morning, early, we got up and headed to Capernaum. Capernaum is in ruins now, sort of an open-air museum. But you can see the synagogue where Jesus taught. You can look at the ruins of what they believed to be an early house church, perhaps the very house where Peter once lived. You can sit by the Sea of Galilee and listen to the water lapping the stones and look at the hills that surround the lake. And so we spread out exploring the ruins, each seeing what our own eyes would see. As we were getting ready to head to our next stop, we were walking to go when we were shouted at, hey, hey, Americans? Yeah, we say a little tentatively. Colorado? What? Now we're confused. But he says, news, news, and gestures at a tiny TV that he's got in his souvenir stall. We crowd around the TV, and my friend from Colorado starts saying, oh, no. Oh, no. You see, he's from Denver. There's been a shooting in a movie theater in Aurora, a nearby suburb, the rival high school. Dozens have been injured, an unknown number dead. Are his friends there? What happened? We don't know. The peace and joy of being in that ancient place on that beautiful morning was gone. I touched my friend's shoulder. I'm sorry, I said. We're halfway around the world from that movie theater, walking in the place where Jesus taught and healed, cast out demons and unclean spirits, and the power of sin had reached us. The violent actions of one person sent ripples of pain and grief and fear out into the world. That's the trouble with sin. It never stays in one place. Instead, the effects of sin spread from person to person, jumping, transmitting like a virus. And sin just doesn't move through space, it moves forward in time. The effects are passed down in families and communities. The sins of the parents play out in the children. 
and the children's children. Set us free, O oh God, from the bondage of our sins, we prayed in the colic this morning. Not just the bondage from the sins that we commit as individuals, well, those are, those are certainly enough to bind us. No. Set us free, O oh God, from the bondage of all of our sins. The bondage of the sins that are inflicted upon us. The sins that we so unwittingly take part in, move in, don't even realize that they're sins. We're so inured to the way it is. And yet they bind us and constrict us and choke us. All of us. Greed damages the earth that we all depend upon for sustenance. Greed entraps millions and millions in hunger and poverty. Racism especially impacts people of color. In fact, regularly kills people of color. But racism impoverishes the body, minds, and souls of all people. When we diminish any one group, all of us are diminished. The beauty and joy of human potential, human discovery, and caring wasted. Destroyed by trauma, bound by insurmountable obstacles to flourishing. Sin binds all of us in one big knotted mess. We feel that keenly now in this pandemic in a way that I don't think we could have understood before. Every choice we make impacts the lives of others. Sin binds us as individuals and sin binds us together. But here's the kicker. Even if we were individually perfect, which we can't be, and even if we did everything absolutely right, which is impossible, we'd still be bound by sin because we're all trapped in this dumpster fire. But even in this dumpster fire, Abundant life is possible. In the collect, we pray that God give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. The abundant life of Jesus gives us freedom. Let me say more about that because when sin has got its black tendrils deep into the world as hard as it does right now, abundant life is very hard to imagine. Jesus offers us abundant life. This is exactly what the healing and exorcism stories in the first chapter of Mark are about. Peter's mother-in-law is trapped by the forces of death, gripped by a fever, and Jesus raises her up. Those possessed by unclean spirits are tortured by them, and Jesus casts out the demons. When the demon asks in the Capernaum synagogue, what have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? The answer is yes. Yes, all of the demons, every last one, all of the unclean spirits, all of the sickness and death, the whole city shows up to be healed by Jesus. Jesus is here to kick in the door on sin and death and to give us abundant life. Life that is worth living. Life that is filled with meaning and purpose. Life that is infused with joy and wonder and peace and wholeness. Yeah, yeah, that's great, Becky. <laughs> but life is obviously not abundant right now. But here's the thing, it can be. 
Because when we let Jesus claim us so utterly and fully that we know, really know, that Jesus has overthrown the power of death, it means that we can make choices that set us free from the grip of sin. Even if that means dying well, we are free to put our body in harm's way for others. We are free to stand against sin and suffering. The choice is freely offered to all of us, every one of us. We are free to choose. Which means that we are free to choose goodness. To choose to turn away from sin wherever we can. It won't be perfect. It can't be perfect. But every choice we make for goodness spreads too. It's not only sin that's catching, but goodness. It's just usually easier to see how sin spreads and much harder and slower to see how goodness spreads. But goodness spreads, throwing its deep roots into the loamy soil and reaching high into the air like an oak. Goodness spreads, impossible to root out like a mustard seed. Goodness spreads too. Every choice we make still matters in lessening the suffering of others. But most of all, most of all, we are invited to live in the mediation of love that is the grounding of the abundant life. It's the mediation of love found in Jesus that transforms the giving away of our very lives into the gaining of our lives. It's the mediation of love in Jesus that makes our hearts sing, sending out beams of light to all around us. It's the mediation of love in Jesus that vanquishes evil before us and brings us into that abundant life. A life lived in Jesus is a free life, a life worth living. So, set us free, O oh God, from the bondage of our sins and give us the liberty of that abundant life which you have made known to us in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ.